If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to continue in our series through the book of Matthew. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at 8 verses 18 through 22. Before we get into it, I want us to just again review very quickly where we have been in the book of Matthew. And specifically, I want us to think about how Jesus has multiple times throughout the book so far interacted with crowds. In fact, if we were to go back to Matthew chapter 4, we would see there in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has gone out into the wilderness. He's been tempted. And when he comes back, he begins his public ministry. And that public ministry very quickly becomes quite popular. And in fact, at the end of chapter 4, verse 23, we see that Jesus goes throughout Galilee. He's teaching. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's healing diseases and afflictions. And 4.24 says, So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, all those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons and those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond Jordan. And then in 5 through uh, 7, we have seen, as we went through that during the spring, that Jesus had another instance where crowds were around him and he began to uh, sit down and teach them, arguably one of the most famous sermons in all of world history. And just last week, As Nathan taught us from the first 17 verses of this chapter, we saw Jesus coming down from the mountain. Great crowds again are around him. And so he begins healing. He heals a leper. He heals a centurion. And then he goes to the house of Peter and heals his mother-in-law. And at the end of our passage from last week, we saw that Jesus had many brought to him and he was healing and casting out demons. And so Jesus' ministry has become very popular. Great crowds are following him. And today we are going to see Jesus in another situation where great crowds are around him. And yet he does some things that are actually quite unexpected. Let's read together uh, the passage for this morning. Beginning in verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go. And bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have preserved it throughout the generations and have uh, kept it for us and, and provided the means for it to be translated in our own language and in our own tongue. Father, we know. You speak through your word, and so that is what we pray this morning, that you would teach us, that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would work through the words of your scripture, 
the words of the Bible and that you would convict our hearts concerning the truth, that you would encourage us with the hope of the gospel this morning. Father, would you speak through me? Would you teach me as well, even as I teach? And Father, would all these things be done for your honor and your glory? And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, the main point for our text this morning is actually quite simple. King Jesus requires the full allegiance of his followers. King Jesus requires his followers' full allegiance, the full and complete and sole allegiance of those who would follow him. And we'll see that unpacked in in three different points in our sermon. The first, we will see in verse 18, the king's authority. And then as Jesus interacts with these two men, we will see first the king's word of caution in 19 and 20. And then we'll see the king's word of encouragement in 21 and 22. But first, the king's authority. Verse 18. Look again at this verse with me. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him. Now again, from what we've seen in Matthew so far, our thought might have been that Jesus might do something a little bit different than what he's about to do. What we've seen so far in the book of Matthew is that when great crowds are around Jesus, we see him teaching, we see him healing, we see himself pouring himself out for the crowds around him, and yet here, Jesus does something completely and totally different. The crowds come around him, and what does Jesus do? He says, it's time to pack up and leave. That is unexpected. That is something that we would not think that Jesus would do in this instance, and yet Jesus does it. He tells his disciples at this point, the crowds are here, but it's time for us to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And not only does Jesus just, he doesn't just suggest this. No, the language is that Jesus gave orders to go over That's an interesting phrase there, giving orders, because if you look throughout the book of Matthew, the idea of giving orders and commandments in this way is only attributed to Jesus, to Herod, and to Pilate. And then one time in one of Jesus' parables of a master over his servants. This is the language of authority. And honestly, if we didn't slow down and take the time, we would just kind of pass over this. But what we need to see from this is that Jesus does not operate by the whim of the crowd and the people around him. No, he operates by the will of his Father. He is operating under the authority that is given to him. This is not a democratic idea that we see here. This isn't Jesus operating by the will of the people around him. He doesn't get his authority from them. No, he gets his authority from his Father. This is a monarchy, and Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. And that is something that we just need to remember as a church this morning. Is this how we treat Jesus? Do we treat Jesus like he is the king? Or do we treat Jesus like he's some sort of cosmic Santa Claus? Or cosmic grandpa that every time we come to him, he just smiles and opens up his wallet for us. When we pray and we come before him, are we continually just asking him, asking him what he can do for us instead of bowing our knee before him and saying, Lord, 
We belong to you. What would you have us do? Now you may tell me, Will, that's really easy for the disciples here in this situation. They literally had Jesus right in front of them telling them what to do. We don't have Jesus right in front of us telling us what to do. But what we do have, we have God's word. We have the open invitation to come to him in prayer over and over and consistently and constantly be before him in prayer. And we also have the guarantee that if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, he has put his Holy Spirit within us. And so, no, maybe it's not just as easy as just having Jesus literally standing in front of us, giving us orders and us obeying them, but we have been given means to come before our King and to ask and beg Him to show us what His will for us and for our lives is. And so, church, I want us to to remember this this morning and remember this not just it's it's really easy for us to think about oh the big decisions of my life who am I going to get married to what school am I going to choose to go to for college or or what job am I going to do it's really easy for us to think about this but what we need to be realize is that this is actually just a, a pretty mundane instruction that Jesus is giving these disciples he's not telling them to do something earth-shattering here. He's just saying, hey, we're going to go here. Pack up the car. We're going to go somewhere else. I'm not saying that we need to immediately fall on our knees before the Lord for every single decision we make, but we should consistently and constantly be putting the mirror of God's word and praying before our Lord and Savior Jesus so that we can know what is his will for our lives and how can we follow him in both the big and large decisions of our lives, but also in the small decisions? And am I going to have a conversation with this person today? Am I going to try and steer this conversation towards sharing my faith with them? Am I going to spend time tonight with my family, maybe not watching TV, but maybe we're going to read the Bible together? Maybe we're going to do family worship. Jesus is the king and he has authority over the big of our lives as Christians, but he also has authority over the mundane, the everyday. So Jesus is the king and he has the authority. Do we obey? Do we seek Jesus' commands to us? Well, next, the king's word of caution we're going to see two people come to Jesus again. Jesus is going to surprise us with what he says to them. Look again at verse 19 with me. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Listen to that again. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, we may be thinking at this point, sounds good to me. That sounds like a, a pretty dedicated person right there. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. In fact, the only thing that might give us a little bit of pause is the fact that this guy is a scribe. And Matthew, throughout his entire book, says that the scribes don't quite have a good idea of who Jesus is. And they're really, at, at 
enemies with Jesus throughout the entire book. So that's the only thing that would cause us pause, but the rest of it seems pretty good. In fact, if we look at it, it might even remind us of the book of Ruth, where uh, Ruth, Naomi, is, is kind of the main character of Ruth, even though we, we call the book Ruth. But Naomi, whose husband and sons have died in a foreign land, in the land of Moab, and Naomi is on her way back with her two widowed daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, and Naomi turns and says to them, you guys need to go back home. And while Orpah goes back home, Ruth says, no. I am following you wherever you go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Where you live, I will live. And where you die, I will die. And I will be buried with you. So we, we see what this scribe is saying. And that, that should remind us of all these things. And we should say, that sounds good. Yet that's not how Jesus responds. Jesus says, foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know, we're not sure what this scribe was thinking as he came to Jesus. But we know at least that this scribe has been around. He's seen the different things that Jesus has been doing. And it's quite possible, and, and what Jesus says here kind of gives us this hint that, that this man is thinking Either this is a great teacher and I'm going to learn a lot from him and I'm going to be successful because I'm around him. Or maybe he even has a better idea and, and really does realize that he is standing in front of who just might be the promised Messiah to Israel. And he wants to get on board this train. But Jesus, instead of giving him any sort of earthly security and earthly idea of wealth and prosperity, he says the exact opposite. He says the son of man has no place to lay his head. Now, Jesus isn't just saying that he's homeless and he's, he's always going to be that way. He's, he's actually using the word when he says son of man. Most people, when they look at this, they, most scholars, as they look at Jesus's, his title that he gives himself, the son of man, it's actually used over 80 times in the Gospels, they say it's referring back to the book of Daniel, where Daniel saw a vision of one like a son of man before the ancient of days and that he was given glory and a dominion and a kingdom. But the thing that Jesus says throughout the Gospels is that his kingdom is not of this world. Jesus didn't come as the conquering king the first time he came. He came as the suffering servant. He came as the one who was humiliated and emptied himself. He is the suffering servant. He is not the conquering king. And he does not guarantee any of his followers any sort of earthly peace and security. Now Jesus doesn't come out and tell us this next part. But if we were to look... And if we were to really read carefully, Jesus isn't telling the scribe that he's guaranteed any earthly riches. But if this scribe comes and follows after him, what does the scribe get? Who does the scribe get? The scribe gets to be with Jesus. He gets to be his disciple. He gets to follow him and be with him. And that is worth far more than any earthly treasure or riches. 
What does Matthew later, how is he going to describe the kingdom of heaven? He's going to describe it as a treasure that a man discovered in a field and he went and he found it and he buried it again and he sold everything he had so he could buy that field and so he could have that treasure. Jesus doesn't offer this scribe any earthly treasure, but he offers him a far greater treasure than anything this world has to offer. He offers him himself, a relationship with him. So for all of us in this room, whether we are a Christian or whether we are not, we need to realize that if we follow Jesus in this life, we're not guaranteed any earthly blessing. We're not guaranteed peace. We're not guaranteed security. In fact, the one thing we are guaranteed is, is quite the opposite. And the fact that all of us are sitting here well-fed and we have homes to go, over, go home to is, is kind of an aberration in the history of Christians throughout the history of the church. So we need to be thankful for that, but we need to realize None of those things are guaranteed. But we are guaranteed Jesus if we put our faith and trust in him. And if we forsake all else to be with him. We are offered Jesus. And if you're just sitting there and questioning, well, what, what worth is that? Can I, can I just remind you of what the apostle Paul said? about being with Jesus and knowing him. In Philippians 3, beginning in verse 8, he says this, Indeed, I count everything, everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Paul knew, Paul knew that what he was offered as Jesus came to him on the Damascus road was far better than any earthly gain that he could have ever had. And the same is true for us this morning. There are a lot of really good blessings that we can have, and a lot of us probably do have, but absolutely none of them is worth anything when compared to knowing that the king of the whole universe, God the Son himself, has humiliated himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that we could have a relationship with him, completely and totally forgiven of our sin, that condemned us and should have sent us to hell, but instead we are offered life, eternal life, with Jesus Christ, the King, forever and ever. That is worth far more than anything that you and I could grasp or hold on to here on this earth or in this life now. Jesus cautions us. He doesn't offer us the things of this world but he does offer us himself. Our last point for this morning is the king's word of encouragement. Look again at verse 21. 
Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And I think it's, it's interesting as I was studying this passage this week, if you, if you look at it, any Bible study or any study Bible or, or any commentary or anything like that, most uh, commentators, most people who study this would say that, that this guy's father probably wasn't dead at this time. And they say that, that because of what Jewish customs were, and if his, if his father had died at that point, he would have probably actually been at home and not uh, there listening to Jesus. And uh, so the, the, man was, the, the father was probably not dead yet, but what the man was probably saying as he said this is that my father is old, He's aged, and I need to take care of him while that's happening so that one day when he's dead, I can bury him. And it's interesting for, for when I look at those, I, I wonder sometimes if the commentators or people who study it are trying to, to lessen the blow a little bit to make it sound like Jesus is, is giving the man maybe a little bit less harsh of an instruction. But I don't know about you, when I read that and and if, if this guy's father is still alive, that makes it even more difficult. If his father's dead, the father doesn't care if he's there to take care of him anymore. But if his father's still alive, this is really hard. The father who's alive can, can miss his son and not, not see his son and, and not be there with his son. So this is a really, really hard thing that Jesus is saying. And, and in fact, we we might again think that Jesus would say, no, you, yeah, you need to go take care of your family. But Jesus was there, and he told this man that his, his priority didn't need to be even the best blessings that God can give on this earth like family. Even those things should not be prioritized over Jesus and following him. Not even the good things of this life should be prioritized over knowing and following Jesus. One of the things Nathan has said, and I think he's, uh, he's attributed this to someone else in our conversations, but it's good blessings make really bad gods. Good blessings make really bad gods. Loving families, taking care of our families is a really, really good thing for us to do. But if that takes the priority in the place of following after Jesus, then we have a problem. Now, thankfully for most of us, it is us loving our families and taking care of them and ministering to them that takes place within the context of us wanting to obey Jesus and follow him. But what we need to realize and what we need to think about here is our priorities. Good priorities, bad priorities, whatever they are. Are they taking the place of Christ in our lives? Are we thinking more importantly, are we considering other things more important than our following after Jesus and obeying his will for our lives? Are we prioritizing in, in this day and age living at peace in our job? 
instead of maybe not going along with something that our job is encouraging us to do that is antithetical to what Jesus would call us to do? Are we prioritizing our health? Choosing not to be with the body. Sometimes that might be something that we're supposed to do. Sometimes it's not. Are we prioritizing work and not gathering together because we want to go? Work is a good thing. Work is something we should do. But are we prioritizing that to the fact that we won't gather together? And I realize that these, these things that I'm talking about, they're hard. They're difficult. And there are some times where you may have to choose between one of the two. And there are some times that even in these tough times, these, these tough situations where we may be struggling and not really sure what Jesus wants us to do. Well, I want to ask us, when we have these situations where we, we have these good things and then we have what Jesus' commands are and we're not really sure which way to go, are we just making it up on our own or do we, do we actually bring these things before God? Do we bring them before God and, and do we bring them before the members of our church? Do we ask others to pray for us and help us to think through these things? Or do you just make a decision and not prioritize what Jesus wants us to do instead? I want to encourage us. That's hard, but I want to encourage us just by remembering this. What does Jesus say to this man who's struggling with his priorities? He says, follow me. He says, follow me. Do you think this man deserved for Jesus to say those two words to him? Do you think any of us deserve to have Jesus say to us, follow me? No. No, this man was a sinner, and his, what he deserved, is the same thing that each and every one of you, <laughs> what I deserve, we deserve to be separated from God for all of eternity, suffering the just punishment for our sins in hell. That's what we deserve. That's what this man deserved. And yet, Jesus, fully knowing what it would cost him, he still says to this man, follow me. He still says to the sinner that he would have to pour his blood out on the cross for, follow me. Our call this morning is to acknowledge Jesus as the king, as our king, far over any earthly gain, far over any security that we might have in this earth, far over even the good blessings that he provides. We are to acknowledge Jesus as king, but we need to remember that the rewards at the cost of Jesus' own blood is our salvation, our guilt, exchanged for righteousness that we could never earn on our own. The rewards of following Jesus is a relationship with the king of the whole universe. Do you hear that? It is a personal relationship with the king of the entire universe. 
we have little kings all around us. We have a, a mayor in this city. We have a governor. We have a president of our, of our nation. How many of you guys get to spend time with him or have a personal relationship with that person? If you, if you do, more power to you. I don't. Most of us don't. And yet right here, we are offered. Again, remember, there is not a small cost to this. It is the death of Jesus that opens up this way for us to have a restored relationship with the king and creator of the whole universe. We have that privilege. We have that priority in our lives that we do not deserve, and yet it is freely offered to us. To be a member of a family that we never deserved to be in in the first place. And not only that, but we are offered, instead of eternal punishment, we are offered eternal life with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Yes, Jesus does command us to make him our first allegiance, our first priority to have no other gods before us except for him. But it is far better and worth far more than anything that we could bow our knee to here in this earth now. Jesus is better, our great savior for great sinners like us. Let's pray together.